0: Hello from Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And we are wrapping up what they call Education Week at the legislature. Uh, This is a solid week of budget presentations and presentations in general from education leaders from all over the state, culminating uh, Thursday morning with uh, State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra. And her presentation before the uh, legislative budget committee, Clark, you and I were both there bright and early, uh, a lot to take away from uh, Thursday morning's activities
1: yeah this was uh, this is probably the closest watched budget hearing of the legislative session uh, as this our is the biggest budget yeah, as, as our readers and, and, and listeners know education spending is the biggest expense for the state of Idaho and so uh, Superintendent Ibarra gave her budget presentation Thursday morning before the joint. Uh, Budget Committee. There weren't a lot of surprises uh, in this budget for two reasons. Number one, as a measure of transparency, Superintendent Ibarra released a preliminary budget request back in September uh, to the media and to the public. And number two, this is kind of a maintenance year. Uh, We've talked about continuing the momentum of some of the recommendations from the governor's task force, continuing the momentum uh, to fund teacher raises under the legislature's signature pay law, which is called the career letter. All that was kind of Expected Uh, To go through some of the highlights, Superintendent Ibarra called for increasing uh, public school funding by 6.7% next year, once funding for the school for deaf and blind uh, is factored in there. That's more than $100 million in new spending for education. And the biggest priority, the biggest expense, uh, we kind of alluded to this a second ago, but it's raises for teachers. On paper, uh, she asked for $58 million for a third consecutive year uh, for teacher raises raises. We know, however, because of enrollment growth at schools across the state, that's likely to be closer to $62 million. And Kevin, this is one of the areas where the governor and the superintendent are are on the same page, right? right? They
0: want the same amount of money, and they want this to be a a high-priority so there's a united front there, at least.
1: Yeah. Some of the other uh, issues that we got into with the budget request were increases on spending for technology, increases on spending for professional development and math initiative, uh, and uh, continued funding of the Wi-Fi Uh, services uh, for school districts. Uh, And I want to point out that Superintendent Ibarra spent about an hour and 12 minutes uh, going through uh, the budget request. And uh, the reaction initially from lawmakers from both political parties was very positive and very supportive of Superintendent Ibarra. She was complimented for the thoroughness, the level of detail in her budget request. She Really focused on the nuts and bolts of the budget, which is what JFAC is asking for this Mm -hmm. year under kind of a new uh, budget format. She peppered in uh, details with how uh, funding and programs were utilized sort of on an anecdotal basis, citing school districts from Lakeland and St. Mary's and Blackfoot, how they were sort of taking uh the policy and the funding that was awarded and then implementing that in the classroom and that kind of stands in stark contrast uh, so, some folks will remember her first budget presentation from 2 years ago mm-hmm. she was actually presenting a budget that her predecessor Tom Luna had developed it was very short it was very uh sketchy it was slight a very slight on details she was really heavily criticized good. for that Uh, But if you look at last year's uh, budget request and this year's budget request, the superintendent looked poised. She looked professional. Uh, She said that because uh, her budget was rooted in her strategic plan and in conversations with educators from across the state, that enabled her to feel comfortable and even relaxed in front of the committee is what she told me. And so she did get a lot of credit and and a lot of support uh, for this budget request. But I want to talk about... Her and the governor, the bottom line was real similar. Their top priorities were real similar, Kevin, with raises for teachers. But there were a couple differences that I want to talk about. And the first is something that's been a big theme at the state house Uh, since the recession, since the budget cuts, and that's how to handle the issue of what is called discretionary spending Mm -hmm. for school districts. Uh, Superintendent Ibarra and Governor Otter have different priorities. Right, and that's
0: one of the two areas that I kind of uh, focused in on in in my follow-up on Thursday. You're right, the bottom line numbers between uh, State Superintendent Ibarra and Governor Otter are very similar. Uh, The bar is seeking $4.2 million more for K-12, which isn't a lot of money in the context of $1.6 billion. I mean, it's it's not a whole lot of money, but there are some very clear distinctions here, uh, policy distinctions and political distinctions. The policy distinction that you were talking about is what to do to help districts sort of pay for their ongoing and pressing needs. One of the big ones being insurance, uh, employee insurance. Uh, Superintendent Ibarra wants to boost the uh, discretionary funding, the operational funding, which uh, is what districts get per classroom yep. based on, on the enrollment. She wants to give them more per classroom. and that's basically it's a, you know, as the name suggests, it's discretionary money. Uh, superintendents and principals can put that into areas of, of highest need. And in a lot of districts, that is insurance, and it is covering benefits. The governor has a very different approach. He would like to create a a line item. This year, it would be a $15 million line item to cover increases in insurance premiums. And this is part of a longer-term goal, as it was kind of explained in committee Thursday morning. Uh, The governor would really like to create a fund, have this kind of almost like a standalone line item to cover insurance benefits, and then take money out of the discretionary Funding, uh, maybe reduce the discretionary funding as you shift funding into insurance. So very different schools of thought there, and it's really going to be up to the legislature to figure out which one they're they're more comfortable with.
1: And, and there's a lot of moving parts to this, Kevin, because it was really suggested that the governor is hoping to influence or incentivize this legislative interim committee that's looking at the school funding formula uh, to maybe entice them uh, to pull out health care costs as a separate uh, funding item. Uh, And so by setting aside that $15 million, that was maybe a little bit of an incentive where the government was, or the governor was sort of trying to uh, not so subtly suggest that they move in that direction. Yeah, he's definitely
0: using the budget to try to drive policy, which, you know, (laughs) executive officers do at all levels of government. So it will be interesting to see whether the legislature subscribes to that approach or a uh, bar's approach. Again, when you get down to the numbers, the dollar numbers, we're not really talking about a big difference in dollars. It's where you put it and how you earmark it.
1: Yeah, um, for sure. That one other small difference between the governor and the superintendent, and it has to do both budget and policy with teacher evaluations. The governor has called for spending $2.5 with the state board of education for training uh, regarding the issue of teacher evaluations the superintendent called for a much smaller amount 300,000 but she wants to spend it uh, within the overall public school budget so a different school of thought and this might play into a little bit of the um the power struggle between mm-hmm. uh, the superintendent state department of education and the state board of education who's responsible who oversees Teacher evaluations, right?
0: Right, and, and I'm not sure it's that small a difference. Uh, I think it kind of uh, illustrates a, a bigger difference of opinion here—a right. a political struggle between the state superintendent and the state board of education. So, a, a lot of tension, I think, in the air when this topic came up Thursday morning. Uh, superintendent Ibarra oh. made her push for her $300,000 line item for for training in the evaluations arena, and twice she kind of went out of her way to assert that she believes she has constitutional primacy on this issue, that she believes as you know, constitutionally, uh, the, the elected constitutional officer overseeing K-12, that it's her job to, to oversee this. Obviously, the governor sees it differently, and frankly, the legislature saw it differently a year ago. They moved this, uh, this responsibility away from uh, the State Department of Education and moved it to the state board but, you know, questions about this on Thursday, there were questions about this uh, two days earlier when the State Board presented its budget, which included the $2.5 million for evaluations training. Um, Sean Keough, the co-chair of JFAC, basically asked, why is this the State Board's job? Is this not the State Department of Education's job? So I think that question is very much on the minds of legislators. Had a chance to talk to Maxine Bell. She's the House co-chair of JFAC. And one of the one of the things about Maxine Bell is she'll tell you exactly what she thinks about something. Right. And you know, she is very candid about the budget landscape as she sees it. And she said, Yeah, we're we're in the middle of this, and I don't really like being in the middle of this. And as one legislator, one very powerful legislator when it comes to budgeting, she doesn't really have a philosophical Hardline position one way or the other whether this is sharia bar responsibility or the state board's responsibility or who should be doing this um i think she kind of would like to get more feedback from her local superintendents and a- again this is either or you know they're not going to fund both of these yeah. so somebody's going to get this uh, authority and the, the political clout that goes with it so Uh, interesting little struggle, and it really came to the forefront um, uh, in the budget committee this week.
1: We will watch for those political decisions when we get into the second half of the legislative session where we move from informational budget hearings to the actual budget-setting process. We will watch for that uh, and keep everyone updated. In keeping with the budget theme, I want to talk about a separate budget item uh, that had its hearing on Friday morning, and that is related to education, but it's separate from the public school budgets. It is for the STEM Action Center, the STEM budget for the disciplines of science, technology, engineering, and math. Kevin, you sat in on that hearing. Uh, What were the highlights? Well, it was a very different vibe, a very different tone. I mean, this is a program that uh,
0: is growing, and if this budget... uh, comes to fruition will continue to grow. Uh, What the governor wants to do here and what the STEM Action Center wants to do here is uh, an 85% increase in their budget. Now, it's a small budget, but 85% increase is one of the largest increases any agency stands to get this year. And what they're trying to do is grow the computer science initiative that legislators approved a year ago. Uh, come up with some ongoing funding for that, try to figure out what sort of pilot programs they have going on that might uh, have some potential to to scale, to expand, to run statewide. Uh, so definitely a, a growth area in this budget if legislators uh, sign on to what the governor is talking about. I mean, STEM is kind of this thing that's really taking on a lot of... Uh, Uh, prominence around the state house you had you know stem kids at the state house earlier this week showing off their projects uh andrew reed had coverage of that um you know stem is definitely a buzzword in education not just in idaho but uh you know so we'll see i mean this is one of those areas where where the governor has really uh you know tried to you know place some political stake there are some key legislators who've been pushing for this uh STEM Action Center, so uh, so we'll see where that one goes as well.
1: Yeah, g- really cool video that Andrew did. If you want to check it out, if you missed it, uh, video with some of the, the students and their STEM projects at the State House, well worth your time. And, yeah. uh, earlier in the week, I was going to say uh, before we got into the the, the budget business, uh, thick and heavy, um, on a on a, in, on a related topic on, on finances, the uh, the Idaho PTA appeared before the. Um, House Education Committee and uh, Maria Lurcher, their Vice President for Advocacy, uh, talked to the House Education Committee about uh, a ruling that we covered uh, that has to do with the constitution- constitutionality of collecting student fees mm-hmm. in the state of Idaho. Uh, a couple years ago, a district judge sided uh, with former West Ada School Trustee Russ Jokey, uh, who who said that the the fees that collected by the district were improper in light of the Idaho Constitution's mandate to provide a uh, free, thorough system of of common schools. And so, as a result, uh, school districts. Um, are are, are not collecting the fees. And uh, Maria Lercher from the PTA said, on paper, this sounds fantastic. In reality, it is a disaster uh, because of the financial hardship it's placing on school districts. She talked about all kinds of programs from... Uh, being able to pay for equipment at science labs for students to uh, music programs, uh, bands being able to travel and participate and perform after school, who's paying for that, uh, who's paying for I- any number of different extracurricular, co-curricular, uh, and even sometimes class activities that uh, uh, require these, these extra um, equipment and extra fees to pay for. It. And she said, uh, we're looking for help. And, and one thing that she suggested is if the legislature could give school districts as much flexibility with their funding, with the discretionary funding as possible. Funding. That goes back to the budget. But she essentially said the PTA is trying to help, but they're a volunteer organization with modest means. And essentially that that, that bake sales and, and little fundraisers aren't going to cover this massive shortfall. That was an interesting discussion. And a couple legislators With that strong education ties uh, engaged with her, John McCrosty, who's a music teacher uh, in the Boise School District, as well as Ryan Kirby, who's a retired superintendent of the New Plymouth School School District, uh, both talked about how we knew this would be a concern, and I think we're finally starting uh, to see the fallout from that ruling this year. And far-reaching fallout.
0: You know, that's kind of what jumped out at me when I read your story this week, is that you've got uh, schools... um that are gun shy about any kind yep. of uh, collection of money that could be construed as a fee that could be construed as running afoul of the constitution you know i i get that no no administrator wants to to flout the state constitution <laughs> so they're they're going to be very cautious but caution you know it goes to band programs it goes to classes you know such as science classes where you know there are more expensive needs in terms of equipment it goes to School supplies, which has also come up in this whole uh, litigation over fees, you know, can you ask or you know cajole a parent of a kindergartner to send you know the, the kiddo off to school with uh, the with box of clean ice yeah. for the classroom? So, you know, a lot of implications, and you know, definitely superintendents are treading lightly around this issue. You can hardly blame them for that, but. Uh, what this did bring into to light is just the the reach and the implications of this ruling.
1: And, and I think they're still coming to grips with it uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and still taking stock of, of just how far this goes and just how big this impact will be. Uh, to shift gears a little bit, I want to talk to you. You had a, uh, a chance to speak with Speaker of the House Scott Bedke. Uh, he signed on to a letter uh, supporting uh, President Trump's nominee for Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, her confirmation... Uh, well, her confirmation hearing was last week. Mm-hmm. A vote might be coming up next week in the U.S. Senate. Um, what did Speaker Bedke do, and, and what did he tell you? Okay, so uh, the Speaker, uh, Scott Bedke, was
0: one of 140 state officials from all 50 states who signed this letter. And we're talking about legislators, legislative leaders. I think there were a few lieutenant governors, maybe a few uh, state superintendents in that mix. Uh, signing a letter of support for Betsy DeVos. Uh, Bedke told me that he was approached by the Republican National Committee about signing on, and he he did so. The letter went to the uh, chairman of the Senate Education Committee on the 17th, which, you know, maybe not so coincidentally was the day that Betsy DeVos had a very (laughs) contentious and and sometimes rather rocky hearing before the committee. So, you know, the letter coincided with that hearing and when I talked to uh, the speaker about it he kind of said well you know maybe I need to do a little bit of homework here but uh, Betsy DeVos is my party's nominee for this position I'm going to support giving her a chance at this and at the heart of it you know when I asked him further Medkey said that he supports DeVos on the school choice issue which is really the issue uh, for her and really the issue in this confirmation process if you support the idea of vouchers or charter schools, Betsy DeVos is a, a hero. If you oppose those concepts, uh, she is a villain. I mean, it is that divided and that uh, and that heated, you know, a, a debate over this confirmation. So, at, at any rate, it was a chance to kind of catch up uh, and get a sense of how some of these issues may play out at the state house. I, you know, talked to the speaker about that, and I get into that and. In, the story that you can find at idahoednews.org. This is probably one of the most commented stories uh, at our Facebook page. So if you want to join the conversation, it has been a heated conversation. Uh, Go to our Facebook page, Idaho Education News. Uh, You can link on to the story and weigh in there.
1: Yeah, and this has been your point about uh, Speaker Bedke saying this is my party's nominee. This, from what I saw of the confirmation hearing, played out along party lines for the most part, and I would expect uh, next week, if a vote comes forward, for it to also uh, fall out roughly uh, along party lines. It, it looks
0: very partisan at this point. Uh, I do not know of any uh, Republicans who had defected away from this nomination, Nor do I know of any Democrats who are going to cross the aisle and support it. So, and if it's a strict party line uh, processing committee and on the Senate floor, she gets confirmed. But uh, we're a little bit a ways away from that. And I know there's been some pretty intensive lobbying in maybe some of those swing states where there are some Republican senators who might be swing votes. So we'll keep an eye on it even from afar on Tuesday because uh, this nomination does have some implications
1: in Idaho. Yeah. Next week we will be back at the Idaho State House each day for week 4 of the legislative session. Uh, give us just a quick preview uh, in terms of what some of the stories we're going to be working on uh, in terms of coverage next week. Well, beyond the uh,
0: the committee activity and the floor activity uh, and the ongoing you know, churn of bills and rules that you get in, in the committees. Uh, opponents of the Common Core standards are going to take to the State House on Monday. They're going to have a rally. Um, Russ Vulture, the once and now current gubernatorial candidate, is going to be one of the speakers. Jeff Thomas, uh, the superintendent from the Madison District, longtime opponent of Common Core, he's going to be speaking, so we'll have that covered as well.
1: All right. Thank you so much uh, for listening. We will be back next Friday with a brand new edition of Extra Credit. Do not forget to check www.idahoednews.org for all of our latest stories. We also break our news at Idaho Ed News on Twitter each and every day. In the meantime, thanks for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.